Hi, I'm AJ, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 15, uh, and then you'll find that on page 898 of the Pew Bibles. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The second reading comes from Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Keep your Bibles open at Luke chapter 15. It's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's a chapter about three stories. Three stories about things that are lost. I'm sure you all know the feeling of losing something that is precious to you. A feeling when you, you feel for your phone in your pockets or in your handbag and you can't find it and your heart skips a beat. <laughs> you know that feeling? Or that times that we all experience when you've seen something every day, all year, and then the one day you need it, it's nowhere to be found. <laughs> well, in this story, there's three stories, actually, of precious lost things, and three stories of someone who searches for that precious lost thing, and three stories of celebrations, three stories of celebrations. And Jesus is telling the story to make the same point. He's talking to us about why he came. He came for the lost. As he says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. What if it were true that we are lost and that God wants to search for us and find us in Jesus? Well, first we need to set the scene. It begins at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, and it says there that Jesus is gathering with the tax collectors and sinners. He's there at the dinner table, kicking back, relaxing with the tax collectors and sinners. Now, you need to know, these tax collectors and sinners were disgraceful people. The tax collectors were liars. They were dishonest with money. They cheated people. And the sinners, well, the sinners were the outcasts of society. The sinners were unclean. The sinners were people people didn't associate with. And there's Jesus. He's hanging out with them both. I mean, just imagine you see someone that you really respect, you know, Paul Dale, in a back alley, sharing a meal with some drug dealers. And you kind of do a double take and go, what's going on, Paul? And that's what these Pharisees do, you see, because the Pharisees, they see that Jesus is there hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, and they're shocked. Why? Because the Pharisees, well, they are upright people. They are teachers of the law. They are fine-standing individuals. They are proud and think that God saves them because of their good works. And they see Jesus there. And what do they say? Verse 2, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're shocked. They're shocked. And Jesus says, don't you get it? Don't you get it? That's why I've come. I've come for the lost. I've come for the needy. 
I've come for the desperate. And so he tells the three stories. First story is of a sheep, a shepherd, sorry, who loses one sheep. And this sheep is so precious to him, he leaves behind the 99 and searches, searches, searches for the sheep. And when he finds it, he throws a party and he celebrates. And Jesus says in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Here's he tells another story. A woman who loses a coin. This coin would have been worth about 10 days' wage. Okay, that's an expensive coin. And you can just picture her there, can't you? In her living room, throwing the sofa, ca- the, the sofa cushions up all over the living room, tearing it upside down. Say, I swear I saw it here somewhere. You know, she needed one of those Bluetooth trackers. You know, they've got these days. That's what she needed. She's there looking around looking for this precious coin, and then she finds it. And what does she do? She calls her friends, throws a party, celebrates, and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And Jesus says, there is rejoicing with the angels, just like that, when someone becomes a Christian and comes back to God. Because that's why Jesus came, for the lost, for those who need him. And then Jesus tells the famous third story. The heading in our Bibles, the NIV, says the parable of the lost son. I actually think a far better title is the parable of the two lost sons. His story begins with a younger son who is lost. Uh, My mum likes to tell a story of when I was lost. Uh, She took me to Target. I was two years old, and I guess I'd had enough with the shopping, and I just made a bolt for it. I just ran. And my mum started to freak out. She went up to people and said, have you seen my son? He's two years old, wearing a Blinky Bill T-shirt. About this high, he's lost. She went up to the next person. Have you seen my son? He's two years old, wearing a Blinky Bill T-shirt. He's lost. She got them to make an announcement over the intercom. And then finally, a lady came up to her after she'd been searching and searching and searching for what? To her, felt like an eternity. If you've ever lost a child in a shopping center, you know that feeling. The woman says to her, well, there's a, there's a little boy in the shoe section. Have you looked there? So my mum runs, runs to the shoe section, and there she finds me in my Blinkyville T-shirt, sitting on the floor, trying on ladies' high-heeled shoes. They <laughs> <laughs> just... Picture her there. She sees me. I'm lost. And yes, I'm trying on high-heeled shoes. But just the relief, the relief of finding her lost son. You can picture her desperate search and her celebration, can't you? Well, in this story, we see all of those amazing emotions. Let's pick up the story. Jesus begins verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Is anyone a younger brother in the room? Anyone a younger brother? Yeah, you can't be trusted. 
You can't be trusted. I always knew it. I'm an oldest in the family. I always knew the younger brothers could be trusted. This younger brother, he comes up to his dad, and what he asks his dad is deeply insulting. He asks his dad for his share of the inheritance. Now, normally you would not get your inheritance until your parents died. It's a bit like going up to your parents now, your dad now, and saying, hey, dad, you know that stuff you promised me in your will? Well, it doesn't look like you're going to die anytime soon. So can I have it now? Is that all right? Which is kind of what millennials do nowadays when they ask for help with a house deposit. (laughs) He goes up to them and says, please, can, can I have my share? Now, it's not like the dad had the money sitting in his bank account and said, yeah, sure, what's your BSB, what's your account number, I'll transfer it over. No, no. He would have had to sell livestock. He would have had to sell property. What he owed his younger son was a third of his inheritance. That's a lot of stuff. But he does it. Sells off his stuff. Gives it to his younger son. And what does his son say? Well, he just runs away. Runs away and wastes it on wild living. Just imagine if you were that dad what you would be feeling in that moment. Just imagine how hurt you would be after all you've done for your son. Well, Jesus is saying, this is like us. Every single one of us, we've taken our Father's things, our Heavenly Father, God, we've taken His things, we've enjoyed all He's given us, life, hope, and we've run away from Him. We've said, God, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. We've believed the lie that this younger son believed. Oh, my dad, he's really just kind of making life hard for me. I'd be so much better if I was free, if I cut loose. I'd have so much more fun on my own out in the big city. Yeah, I'm going to run away. And we do that same thing with God. We think life would be better without him. And we've run We have turned away from him. And the Bible calls that sin. And sin is more than just the wrong things we do. Do you see? It's an attitude. The younger son, he had an attitude. He said, God, I don't, Dad, I don't want you. I want to do it on my own. Well, look at what happens next in the story. Verse 14. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? The younger son, he realizes he's lost. He's lost. He used to have a home in his dad's house, and he's traded it all in for the pig food. Now, remember, for a Jewish person, pigs were unclean. He was lost. He'd hit rock bottom. But he realized it. He realized it. Maybe you've experienced before, you know when you're driving with someone and the person's driving is too stubborn to admit they're lost? 
You know that? You're there navigating and you say, well, you should have taken that turn. No, no, I'm fine. I know where I'm going. I got this. And they get further lost. You say, no, well, you meant to take that turn. No, no, I've got this. I know where I'm going. And they're too proud to admit that they're, they're totally lost and they're clueless. See, this younger son, he, he actually does do something good here. He wakes up. He realizes, you know what? I'm lost. I need help. And God's saying to us tonight, without him, we are lost. We're lost. We have believed the lie that life without God offers freedom. And instead, it's ended up for us in bondage. In bondage. Now, maybe you're thinking, how dare you tell me I'm lost? How dare you tell me I'm lost? How dare you tell me my life is like eating the pods the pigs eat? But isn't it true, when you think about our life, isn't it true that nothing seems to satisfy? We can chase after success and nothing seems to fill the void. We can live for money and we always want more. We can pour our hope in relationships and people fail us. We begin to realize no matter how much we get, Nothing seems to totally satisfy apart from God. And that's because we were made for a relationship with him and we've turned our back on him and we are truly lost. There's no hope of making ourselves right with God on our own. We're stuck in our sin. Well, the son, he comes up with an action plan. He comes up with an action plan. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He comes with an action plan. He's going to go back to his dad. He's going to turn around and go back to his dad. The Bible calls that repentance. It's realizing you're going one way, living one way without God, and it's turning back to our Heavenly Father, turning back to Him, running back to Him. That's what the younger son does. And he rehearses in his head the speech he's going to say to his dad. Have you ever had to apologize to something, to someone before for something you've done? Maybe you've rehearsed an apology speech in your head. That's what the son's doing. What happens? Verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I like to picture that the dad is sitting there at the window of his house every morning looking out to the horizon. They can... Is this the day my dad's gonna, my son's gonna come back? 
is this the day? Is he going to come back today? Until finally this one day it happens. He sees there on the horizon his younger son walking down the path far off in the distance. What does he do? What does he do? He runs. He runs. Do you know for a Middle Eastern man in this era to run would have been very insulting. Middle Eastern elder men did not run. But this man, he is filled with compassion. That's what Jesus says. Filled with compassion for his lost son. And he bolts. He runs. Runs down the pathway. And he meets his son. And what does he say? How dare you? After all I've done for you, I gave you everything. You wasted it. You're ungrateful. No. No, the younger son's there. He's about to rehearse his apology speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all I've done. And the father cuts him off, hugs him, gives him a big bear hug, kisses him, welcomes him back, calls his servants and says, throw the biggest party we've ever thrown. That fattened calf we've been saving for years for a special occasion, slaughter it, get the ring, get the sandals, get the robes. This son, he's mine again. He's back. We're throwing a feast. And they partied the night away. And that's what God wants to do for every one of us who comes back to him. Celebrate. Throw a party. When Mark became a Christian, the angels in heaven were celebrating with God, throwing a party. And that's why we're celebrating tonight over dinner, because it's the most incredible thing. The interesting thing is, though, I don't know if you noticed, the son had a different plan. You see, the son's plan was to work for his dad's approval. Do you see it there in verse 19? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. His plan was to say, hey, Dad, you know, I know I've, I know I've screwed up the whole son thing. I know I blew, I blew that. Yeah, there's no chance I'm going to get that again. Have you got a job for me? Like, can I be a cleaner or something? Uh, you know, just can I be a chef in your big estate? Or just, just give me something, a groundskeeper. I'll work my way back to you. I'll pay off what I owe. (laughs) And the father says, no. And he welcomes him back. See, that's God. He gives us what we don't deserve. We can't work for it, can we? We can't earn his approval, can we? It's all because of his grace, all because of his kindness. God searched for us by sending Jesus who died on a cross for our sin, paying the price we deserve to pay. And all we need to do is trust him and we are forgiven. We're saved. We're rescued. We can't work for his approval. But it's all about trusting in him and getting what we do not deserve. And I know as I've been meeting with Mark the last few months, that's one thing that blew Mark's mind. And it's one of the most beautiful things about God. So will you come to God tonight? If you're a younger brother in the room, you run away from God, 
ignored him. God, your heavenly Father, is standing tonight with his arms open. He wants to welcome you home, not as a hired servant, but as a son, as a child of the living God. And if you do that, you'll be able to sing the words of amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Well, there's a second son in the story, isn't there? See, the party's going on, the party's going on inside, and the older brother is out in the field. And he hears in the distance the party going on. <laughs> He's walking up, and goes, what's that sound? Comes close, sees the strobe lights going, spoke machines. He comes up, he comes out, and says, what's going on? What's, what's with the, you know, the, the music? I mean, and someone says, well, haven't you heard? Your younger brother's back. And he's furious. He's furious. Can you just picture him outside the party, just with his arms crossed, sulking as people party the night away? But what I love about it is the dad, he runs out to the younger son in grace, and he, he runs out to the older son. He leaves the party comes out to his older son and asks him, what's going on? Why aren't you coming into the party? The food's great. Come on in. And what does the older son say? What does he say? Verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours, notice he doesn't even call him his brother, when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. What's going on? This older brother, oh, he's lived a, he's all, he's lived a great life. He's been serving his dad really well for years and years, never slipped up, perfect record, for, you know, just fantastic. But he thinks that is what earns his dad's approval. He thinks he's entitled because of the way he's lived. He thinks he's earned his dad's kindness. And so he sees his dad give something completely undeserved to the younger brother, throw a party. And he says, where's my goat? Where's my cow, my calf? Where's my, my music and my strobe lights? He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. You see, if you think you are saved by God, by the good things you do, if you think you've got to work for God's approval, it will feel like slavery. It will feel like slavery. Not a relationship. I mean, you never want your partner, your husband, your wife to say that if they feel like slavery married to you. No, no, no. That's not a sign of a good relationship at all. There's no joy here for the older brother it feels like slavery. But it's when you realize you're saved, not by the good things you do, but by his grace and kindness, that doesn't feel like slavery. But it feels like freedom, true love, true grace. That's what the, young, the older brother did not get. 
That's what he didn't understand. And he's shocked that the younger brother would be showing this kindness. I've gone three weeks resisting talking about Kanye West in a sermon. But I do feel like tonight's appropriate. And I'm not one of those pastors that has only started liking Kanye since he became a Christian, just to make clear, all right? Kanye, you know, a year ago, calling himself basically God, living life very clearly, not as a Christian, a younger brother, you could say that, run away from God. I think he might have had a Christian father when he grew up, run away, in every way a younger brother. He's become a Christian, and, you know, a lot of Christians I've seen online and online are saying, well, yeah, really? Is he really a Christian? How do we know? They're judging him. They're not sure. There's no celebration. There's skepticism and there's doubt. As though we should be surprised that God could save Kanye West, a younger brother. Instead of celebration, there's skepticism. Perhaps there's reason to be skeptical. We don't know his heart. We don't know anyone's heart. But what's our first reaction when we see someone who's been lost come back to the Heavenly Father of grace? Should be celebration. God can save every person, even the most lost of sinners. Are you an elder brother? Maybe you're sitting here tonight, you're hearing about the younger brother, and you're going, well, I'm glad I'm not like that. I mean, I've never gone and slept with prostitutes. I've never played with drugs. I live in Neutral Bay. I live in Kirribilli. Not like the rabble on the south side of the harbour. No, 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 no. Someone, maybe you're someone who every time you're at church, you always think the sermon is written for someone else. You're always thinking, oh, I hope... I hope so-and-so is listening to this one. They need to hear this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, I wish I invited this person. Yeah, they really need to hear that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's so easy to become an older brother, to think the way we are accepted by God is by our good works, what we've done to deserve it. And you know what? It's so dangerous. Because you only realise you need to go to a doctor when you realise you're sick. And the dangerous thing about an older brother is an older brother can be blind. They think they're okay with God because of their good works and their good life, and they don't realize that they haven't actually trusted him and his grace and come to his open arms. And you see at the end of the story, the younger son's there in the party, parting away. And how does the story end? On a cliffhanger. The older son, is he outside forever or does he come in the party? Does he respond to God's grace or does he stay outside, self-righteous, thinking he's deserved it, thinking he's earned it? The father pleads with him, but we're left on a cliffhanger. He may be like one of the 99 people who think they do not need to repent, as Jesus talks about earlier in the chapter. So Jesus puts these two parables out here, two stories of two sons, 
and says, who are you? Both the younger sons in the room tonight and the elder sons in the room, God is standing with his arms wide open, calling you to come to him. He wants to save you. He gave up his son for you. He sent Jesus to seek to save the lost. Will you pray the prayer the younger son said, I will go out to my father. I will go back to my father. Will you come home? Come back to your heavenly dad who loves you. And if you do that, if you come to God, he will throw a huge party in heaven. He will say, this, my child, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. Would you pray with me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Father, we thank you for your grace. We do not deserve it. We thank you that you love us and forgive us even when we'd run from you. Please, help us to realise our need for you. Please, help us to come to you, our Father, and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that we have the joy of celebrating with many, many, many more people in Neutra Bay, in Kirribilli, in the Lower North Shore, as people are rescued and saved and delivered and brought into your family. And we pray this together with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.